Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I have a difficult assignment this morning. My assignment is to set the stage for 2020. And over the next 52 weeks, our goal is that we might have a 2020 vision for Calvary Baptist Church. Now that says a lot. That says that here at Calvary, we want to understand who God is. We want to understand what God has done, and we want to recognize what God is doing in our lives. In order to accomplish that, we are going to work our way through the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and, and Titus. And this morning, I'm going to give you an overview of those epistles and, and frankly, this is a lot of grunt work, this is a lot of spade work, this is just a, a lot of understanding so that we can have a foundation where to go from here. So I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. Please stay with me this morning. You know we do have a rule about sleeping in church. Here's the rule. When I start to speak, you have to be awake. Is there anyone who does not qualify to that criteria this morning? All right, I see that hand, and I'll see that hand, and I'll see that hand, and I'll pray for you, all right? Those people sitting next to those individuals, nudge them, will you please? The second rule about sleeping in church is this. If I put you to sleep, you deserve the nap. Now, the reason I tell you that is because that may be a distinct possibility this morning. And I don't want that to happen. Because it's vital that we have an understanding of where we are and where we're going. And I want to pull three passages out of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus as we begin this morning. And then we're going to look at some background. And then we're going to, I trust, apply these three passages so that we can recognize what it means to have a 2020 vision here at Calvary Baptist Church. So, are you in 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here's the first truth. Verse 15. 1 Timothy 3.15. If I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Truth number one is this, and we'll get to the application a little bit later. This is the church of the living God. And we need to act like it. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn there. Familiar verses. Verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, the child of God, may be complete, equipped for every good 
work. Not only is this the church of the living God, but the content of our lives is to be the Word of God. The direction that we need to go is discovered in this book. Truth number three, Titus. Titus chapter 2, please. Titus chapter 2. I'm going to begin with verse 11 and read down through verse 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works. The call of our salvation is to live out the living God and the Word of God from our lives. And if we can do that, we will have a clear 2020 vision for this year. Now, you know vision is very important. In some cases, it is tough to lose your vision. It is tough to see clearly. My dad will be 92 in May. And he doesn't see like he once did. And this is the year he has to renew his driver's license. Some of you have been there, done that. I talked to him this past week, and I said, well, what are you going to do the first of the year? And he said, I'm going to go down to the Secretary of State. It's the Department of Motor Vehicles in Indiana. And I'm going to practice for my driver's license test. I said, Dad, I'm not sure it works that way. He said, well, that's the way it's going to work for me. That's my dad. He's had cataract surgery, and that helped some. But he's concerned about his right eye. And he really does not see real well with his right eye. And he and mom, who will be 94 this year, still live on their own, still live in their own place, and my dad provides all of the necessary transportation for them to meet their needs. Grocery store, beauty parlor, you understand. You know, when you're not seeing clearly, it affects your life. When you don't see clearly, it affects your marriage. When you don't see clearly, it affects how you raise your kids. When you don't see clearly, it affects how you respond to challenges in your life. In fact, someone has once said, I was so mad I couldn't see straight. You know? And when you get to that place in your life, you just can't see clearly. And when you can't see clearly, it's a problem. Now, there are ways to correct how you see. I'm wearing cheaters this morning. These help me see clearly. 
But sometimes, even with the cheerleaders, I don't see real well. So I have to upgrade. What do you think? Is that my color? I really can't see much out of these. <laughs> but we do everything we can to try to see clearly, right? Some of you this past year have had surgery so that you could see clearly. And it's so important for us to recognize that if we are going to have a 2020 vision, we'd better see clearly. And the only way to do that is in the Word of God. The only way for us to recognize what God has for us and how to live according to that standard is to open the book. And Paul, as he wrote to Timothy, and as he wrote to Titus, who were struggling in ministry, did everything he could to help them see clearly. Now, there are three purposes for these pastoral epistles. Purpose number one is help for the pastor. I need help. I need to know what God wants me to do. Every week I pray, God, help me to share with people the wonder of who you are and the recognition of how we can follow who you are and live according to your standard. That's a tough assignment. I try to be consistent. In our ABF this morning, I got on a roll and used a number of illustrations concerning Connie and me. Now, it was easy for me to do because Connie wasn't there. But she showed up. And after I used those illustrations, she made this comment publicly. She said, we are so normal. It's absolutely true. There is nothing special about us. There's nothing special about our relationship other than... We are committed to each other and committed to God. And that's what makes it work. And one of my responsibilities is to help you understand how you can be committed to each other and committed to God and make it work. Paul will help us do that. Not only is there hope for the pastor, but there's hope for the church. We live in a culture in which the church is struggling. All you have to do is look around. And there are many churches that have tried to blend into the culture at the expense of the Word of God. That ain't right. Because the church and the Word of God is not to blend into the culture. The church and the Word of God is to make a difference in the culture because it is truth. And the help that we need as a body of believers, as an assembly, is how to live that out in our lives as truth in our culture. That's the light and the salt stuff that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Salt of the earth, light of the world. And so the hope that we have 
is the assurance that the Word of God is effective. That it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And that it makes a difference in our lives. Amen? The third reason that Paul wrote these epistles is healing for our culture. Our culture's sick. I do not understand all of the shootings that have taken place all over the United States of America. Do you? I don't get it. I just don't get it. And we could talk about lifestyles, and we could talk about uh, people's unwillingness, who even claim to be believers, their unwillingness to follow the Word of God. And we would understand how our culture needs some healing today. Now let me say this. I do not believe that our culture is going to get much better. Because the Bible says, as in the days of Noah, so shall the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And you remember how bad it got in Noah's time? It got so bad that Noah was the only one who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God said, Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth except for who you are and your family members. So you need to build a boat. Noah didn't have a clue what that meant, but he did it. And God saved him. And so, our assurance is that God is going to save us from this culture one day. Amen? And you know, that could be in 2020. As I talked to my dad, I said, Dad, you don't have to remove, renew your driver's license till May. Maybe Jesus will come back. And then you will see clearly. Amen? You're ready to go. If you're here this morning and you're not sure you're ready to go, will you talk to me, please? Because the reality is, None of us know when we are going to go. But when we do go, we have to be ready to go. Jack Thurston. When he and Barb left for Florida just a few short weeks ago, thought he was just having back problems. And got down there, and they diagnosed pancreatic cancer. Stage four. And he's come home. Knowing that probably sooner than later, he's going to go. Pray for Jack and Barb, will you please? Jack is not worried about the destination. It's the trip between here and there. That's the struggle. None of us know when we're going to go. But when we do go, we need to be ready to go. All right, let's look at the pastoral epistles here, all right? Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. 
And Ephesus was a place that was very dear to the Apostle Paul. In fact, if you want the history of Ephesus, you read Acts 18, 19, and 20. Aquila and Priscilla, whom you are aware of, were part of the Ephesus body of believers. It was in Ephesus where Paul asked the believers if they had received the Holy Spirit. And for the third time in recorded history in Acts, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues to demonstrate what God had done in their lives. That's Ephesus. It was at Ephesus where there was a silversmith, a guy who made idols. And Paul came along and started preaching about the only true God and put him out of business because people accepted the truth and wonder of the only God of the universe, not made with man's hands. And so this silversmith started a riot. (laughs) And Paul got caught up in that as part of what was going on. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is away from Ephesus and he calls the church leaders to come because he he wants to encourage them and minister to them. Paul was in Ephesus two, maybe three years. And can you imagine sitting under the the teaching, the tutelage of, of Paul? It was a very dear place. Now, to Ephesus, Paul sends Timothy. Timothy was his child in the faith, and Timothy was one who grew up with Paul, even traveled with Paul. And you find Timothy mentioned in scriptures as being one that Paul poured his life into. I mentioned Preston this morning. Pastor John and I just want to pour our lives into Preston. We really do. Because we want this young man. As God calls him into vocational ministry, to be successful in vocational ministry, even though that's tough. There's nothing about working one day a week in vocational ministry. And dealing with challenges and issues and letting God work is the blessing. A vocational ministry. So Paul sends this young guy, Timothy, and part of 1 Timothy is, let no man despise your youth, but be an example of the believers, to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was an interesting place. Ephesus was plagued by false teachers. We'll look at the city of Ephesus and we will discover the temple that was built to Diana, which was a a religion of prostitution. And that all blended together in that culture. We think we got it bad. They had this big temple sitting up on the hill. And everybody in the city could see it. And male and female prostitutes Help people get closer to God, they said. And that was the culture in which Timothy ministered. But not only was it 
plagued by false teachers, as you read Revelation chapter 2, it was a church that was identified by Jesus Christ as leaving their first love. Oh, God, help us. It's so easy to get comfortable and complacent with your love. I can't tell you the number of folks who have struggled in their marital relationships simply because they got comfortable and complacent. And I can't tell you the number of folks that have struggled in their spiritual lives simply because they got comfortable and complacent. And that's what happened in Ephesus. That's where Timothy is, is ministering. Now, Paul wrote the first epistle to Timothy, probably sometime around circa 66. And Paul may have written this epistle from Macedonia. We're not sure. But Paul, in his travels, ended up in Macedonia, and that's where he penned this first letter to Timothy. Now, the second letter to Timothy was written while Paul was in prison. It was written the following year, probably. And Paul is in Rome now, and he's looking over his ministry. And Paul in 2 Timothy says, Timothy, I fought a good fight. It's about over for me. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And I know when I get to glory, Timothy, God's laid a crown of righteousness. He's reserved it for me. And he says, Timothy, be faithful. So that's First and Second Timothy. Titus was written from a place called Crete. It was a little island out in the Mediterranean Sea. And, and we really don't have a lot of information about Crete and Paul's relationship with Crete. Probably, when Paul was on his way to Rome the last time, recorded in Acts 28... Paul stopped at Crete. And Paul was always sharing the gospel. He was always praising Jesus Christ and proclaiming the wonder of God's love. And he probably did that on Crete. And then Paul takes Titus and places him in Festus. Now, I think it's interesting that there were legalists on Crete. Now, a legalist is someone who puts a requirement on salvation. In order to really fulfill your salvation, you've got to be fill in the blank. And so Titus was dealing with this, with this legalism. We also discover that those on Crete would discount the grace of God in salvation. And you, you read with me, Titus 2, the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us how to live. And they discounted that grace of God. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God today? Recently, we looked at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Amen? Isn't that great? God giving to you and to me what we don't deserve? Wow. Wow. And yet on Crete, the church started to discount the grace of God's work in their lives. 
And that's where Titus was ministering. Now, Titus was probably written around 66 A.D. Probably written from Macedonia or maybe even from Ephesus. Could have been during those two years that Paul was ministering at Ephesus. But he brings to us the challenges that we have. Now, may I just remind you that these are challenges we have in the church today? There are those who in the broad church would teach false doctrine. And we have to be careful we don't lose our first love. There are those in the broad church that are legalists adding to salvation. Instead of faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, they, they add to it. And it's real easy at that point to discount God's grace in salvation. And so it's appropriate that we study the pastoral epitions for 2020. Now, if you're taking notes, you will see that the main body of notes is taken up with outlines. I'm not going to do those this morning. That might put you to sleep. But if you want those outlines, go to the website. It's there. You can go to the app. It's there. And you can fill in those blanks, okay? I, I just want to say I appreciate those of you who take notes because you're engaged and I hope that at the end of this year, we will have a commentary on the pastoral epistles because of the notes that we have together. Now, this week, you're going to have to do a little extra work. So what I want to do now is very quickly make some application to our lives from the pastoral epistles. And the application is tied around the challenge to be faithful. I wear on my lapel a little pin, which all of you have seen before. I've been wearing it for a year, year and a half, maybe two years. And it has one word on it, and that word is commitment. And I wear it because I want you to know of my commitment to the Word of God and to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, it's more than a pin, all right? And it's more than a word. But I wear it to remind me of what's going on. And that commitment requires that I be faithful. And if I'm just faithful, then everything else takes care of itself, right? Paul wrote in First. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians. Moreover, it's required as stewards that man be found faithful. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. Be faithful. Faithful to the Word of God. That's all we got to do. So here are the three truths. Be faithful. Because of who we are, we are the church of the living God. The assembled ones, the called out ones. The ones who identify with the wonder of our God as we worship Him. Amen? 
You, you and I are part of the body of Christ. And we assemble together in a place called Calvary Baptist Church. But we don't assemble just to get together. We assemble because of who God is and He is the living God. That's why Peter said we are to be living stones. Because we assemble together as the church of the living God. Be faithful. Be faithful because of the content of the Word of God. Either this book has the answers for our lives or it doesn't. Either it tells us how we are to have relationships with each other or it doesn't. Either it teaches us how to rear our children or it doesn't. Either we understand how we are to be involved in each other's lives or it doesn't. But the content of the Word of God, a word that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, directs our lives. The Bible says it. That ought to settle it. For those of us who claim to be children of God. And there's no excuse. No excuse. Amen? Okay. And number three. We are to be faithful because of the call of our salvation. I'm so thankful I'm saved. I grew up in a pastor's home. Pray for me. But I was in church before I was born. I really was. And I heard the gospel from day one. And as a four-year-old kid, I knew that I was a sinner and that God loved me enough to send His Son to die for me. And my only response to that was to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. It was that simple. And as if a four-year-old kid can understand that, anyone can understand it. And it's too bad that sometimes we adults put other stuff in the way and don't get it. I confess to you that I didn't always live for the Lord. Got involved in a number of things in junior high and high school. Probably the thing that kept me out of trouble a lot was because I was involved in athletics and I needed all the help I could get in athletics. I didn't want to mess anything up. So I never drank and never smoked. Never did drugs. But I had a potty mouth. I have shared with you before that in May of my junior year, I went to a state youth rally, and that's where God got a hold of my heart. And I came back from that youth rally committed to living for God. During my senior year, I was living out the new creature in Christ Jesus. And at the end of my senior year, our school, little rural school, 
Minford, Ohio has been in the news recently. <laughs> if you read any of the New York Times articles, Minford, Ohio is the center of the opioid epidemic in southern Ohio right now. But little country school back then, living out a, a, a lot of good moral stuff, recognizing, I mean, we even prayed at school. And at the end of my senior year, I was sitting in the stands and bleachers, and my name was called. Never good when your name is called publicly. I remember my dad preaching, and in the middle of his message, my name got called. That was not a good thing. And he used my full name, Thomas Clarence. My name was called. Said, would you please come down? I didn't know what it was about. My mom, who was a teacher at the school, smiling from ear to ear, because she knew what it was about. And I, I walked down on the floor from the bleachers, and Mrs. Dobson presented me with an Outstanding Student Award. Yeah. It wasn't because I was the valedictorian of my class. She gave that to me, she said, for my outstanding Christian testimony. I wouldn't have got it my junior year, for sure. But I came to realize that God's grace in my life had called me out of darkness into His marvelous light, and it should make a difference where I was. No, don't, 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 please don't. Because it's all about Him. And it's God who works in us to do His good pleasure. And I just got to be part of the beneficiary. You and I have been called to live in this world in a way that pleases God, that frankly is contrary to our culture. And it's okay, because if it pleases God, that's all that matters. So, my challenge for Calvary Baptist Church during 2020 is that we would have a clear vision of what God wants us to be. And that we would be found faithful to Him. 